All right, welcome to a new edition of the Hardwood Huddle. My name is Randy Zellier from the swamps of New Jersey, joined by always the supreme leader, the man behind the pen, the man behind the microphone. That is Bill Ingram. Bill, how are you today, my friend? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. And our special guest, as you see below us right now, it almost feels like one of those little Brady Bunch things where I should maybe look down like this, is one of the voices of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He does the uh, he's he's on the microphone with Fox, John Michael. John. Thanks for giving us a few minutes today. Appreciate it. Of course. Great to be joining you guys. How are you? Eh, you know what? We're, they just opened the state of New Jersey. They told us we're no longer at that stay home period now. So it's like, cool. This is what sunlight looks like. All right. We're good. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> so, we're enjoying our first day over 100 degrees already. So that's uh, that's quite a fun thing to deal with here in, here in Dallas. <laughs> this, yeah, so this, it's amazing on how we try to keep things very spread out here as far as we're concerned how is it out in uh, cleveland right now not bad actually the weather's been beautiful uh, we've been able to get outside and enjoy it a little bit uh, i have a young family six-year-old and a four-year-old so it's been uh it's been wall-to-wall playtime non-stop guys for about three months uh but we've been enjoying it <laughs> we said to ourselves you know what other time with you know the jobs that we have are we going to get in march and april to have no school no work be able to play with the kids, particularly when they're this young. So we're, we're trying to make the best of it. Uh, good thing is it's not getting old yet. I don't know if that's a reflection on my maturity level or what, but it's still fun playing with these guys 24 hours a day. And I'll be honest with you, from the way the Cavs were playing this year, I think this break was a welcome break. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, they, you know, it's a team that finished obviously 29th uh, in the standings. They're going to have an equally high chance to get the number one pick in the lottery. Uh, but that said, hey, once the change was made to JB Bickerstaff, they were playing some better basketball after the All Star break, going five and six, uh, beat some of the upper echelon teams in the NBA. So yeah, we we knew what this season was all about coming in, guys. You know, it was about getting this team back to a position where it wants to be in the standings and to do so by getting those building blocks in place, by developing some of those young players. You know, when you think about back to the four straight championship runs, guys weren't developing anybody. I mean, they weren't even drafting anybody. Trading draft picks to bring in guys to surround LeBron James to put a team together to win championships. And David Griffin, the GM at the time, described it as pushing all the chips into the center of the table. And that's precisely what they did, and it worked. You know, but after you make that run, we know how the NBA cycle works. Uh, you get back to this point where you now you have to develop talent as something different, you know, something new to the organization over the last couple of seasons compared to where it had been. So that's where they are now. They're trying to get some of these young guys to where they want them to be uh, as this team progresses into the future. I'm interested in the, the – you've seen a roller coaster like few teams have ever seen where you go from – LeBron deciding what that, I mean, the most god-awful spectacle of NBA media I've ever seen was that decision uh, thing where, what did you feed your dog for breakfast this morning, LeBron? Uh, where you go from celebrating all that LeBron brought to Cleveland to having uh, jersey-burning parties in the in the Gundarina parking lot, and then, oh, and then he's back, and everybody's happy again. That had to have been uh, kind of a mind-blowing thing to to live through, the demonization and then re-celebration of LeBron. Yeah, it was different. I mean, my first season was 2011, the year Kyrie Irving went number one, Tristan Thompson went number four. So it had been a year after LeBron had already left. But, man, just to see that from the outside looking in, the, the vitriol and the anger and everything that took place – uh, you know, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. And people were upset for obvious reasons. 
Uh, and for the first three seasons, the Cavs struggled. Uh, a couple under Byron Scott, uh, and then one season uh, under Mike Brown. Uh, they turned the corner, obviously, when LeBron James comes back. And it's uh, completely different for four consecutive seasons, uh, heading on to the finals each and every time. So, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. And now back to where it's been the last couple of seasons uh, as the Cavs are, are, are looking to rebuild. So it's been interesting, no question about it, to see the ups and downs. <laughs> The, the media attention, uh, it, it's always funny. People would ask me at the end of the four seasons that the Cavs went to the finals. I said, what, you know, what is this, your fourth season with the team on the radio? I was like, no, actually, it's my seventh. <laughs> the funny thing is nobody was listening for the previous three. So it, it, was, it was funny to see, uh, you know, just uh, – and, and it's obvious. That's the way it works uh, in the NBA. Uh, so, yeah, it's eight seasons on the radio. This season was my first on the television side. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting seeing the, uh, the ups and downs of the organization. And as you guys know, it's the way it works in the NBA. Did you find it um... – what was it like that first season? LeBron, this is the second season without LeBron. That first season without LeBron, knowing that it's still you had all those pieces there that was around LeBron. Obviously, the group that was there the second time he left was much better there than the first time he left. Was there still that little optimism of like, you know, the squad here is not bad with Kevin Love and J.R. Smith, which obviously that turned out work. We don't know how that turned out. Was the attitude of, Hey, we still could possibly do something here at that point, or was it like, okay, let rebuilding begin right now? I, I agree with you, Randy. That I think the prevailing thought was that, yeah, are we in a better position than we were last time? Yeah, but then again, I mean, they were there was nothing left last time, you know. Right. So yes, do yeah. they have some pieces moving forward? But that said, I think anybody who followed this team, LeBron is a piece of really any team he's a part of. You know what I mean? Like he's the one essential piece that if you take him out of there for this Cavs team over any of those four years, what did you have? You just had pieces of guys who complement LeBron. So you can't, I mean, it, you, you just knew it wasn't going to work. I mean, could the team have potentially made the playoffs? Maybe as a seven or an eight seed, but I don't think there was anybody here saying this team's going to make another legit run. Right? No, definitely not. There, definitely not. Were there differences? Yeah, there were differences, but I don't think anybody here was kidding themselves thinking that without LeBron, this team was still a contender. Can you also talk about that last run with LeBron? No Kyrie Irving. They made the trade to bring in Isaiah Thomas originally. They ended up shipping him out. At that point, man, I'd never seen a player will a team to the to the NBA Finals like LeBron did that season. Uh, can you talk about what it was like to call games at that point in time and what it was like being right there to watch what that was at that point in time that season was wild i mean just wild i mean you, you consider dwayne wade was a cleveland cavalier <laughs> to start the season to give you <laughs> an idea how wild that season was and, and you look at the trade deadline a seismic shift i mean six players out four players in at the trade deadline and we're talking about february guys and then they try to you know you have to ramp back up and find some chemistry and get yourself in a position to get into the playoffs and remember the Pacers almost knocked it out in the first round. The Pacers took the Cavs to seven games, outscored the Cavs by 40 points in that series, uh, yet the Cavs were able to move on and get to the finals for the fourth consecutive time. But And, and LeBron was fantastic. I mean, you, you, all you have to do is look at the numbers. Uh, sensational again, uh, just the way that the team had to shift once more completely 
in February. You know, and, and remember, too, like you mentioned, they thought Isaiah Thomas would be the guy running the show, but you had to wait until he was healthy. He only ended up playing a handful of games with the Cavs. And they this can't happen. This isn't going to work. We're going to have to trade him away and try something else. So it was almost like they went back to the future in a way when they made that trade, the team was a lot more similar to the one that they had in previous seasons. Uh, and Teron Lou was able to make it work to the point where, yeah, they got him back to the finals once again. But man, you would have, you're right. You want to talk about an up and down season. Again, all you have to do is point at that trade deadline to give you an idea just what that season was all about. Do you think that maybe the, and I say this as someone who plays NBA 2K almost every day, at least one game. Uh, do you think that the video game mentality creates an unfair expectation for the trade deadline? Because I know a lot of people think the trade deadline is the answer to every problem for their team. But really, as you mentioned, when you're bringing in four, five, six different guys, there's a, a real adjustment period that, can be really difficult for a team with high expectations. I, it may for fans, Bill, but I, I'm not sure it does for organizations. I think teams that have been there before know just how difficult it is. I mean, you even look at seasons oh, previous. Teams, that's what I'm saying for yeah. fans. Yeah, right. Fans. I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that it. You know, I, I'm I'm going to look back at the season the Cavs brought in Channing Frye. All right, that 2016 season. That was just one player, right? But now the rotation's different. Now you're using him in different situations. Just one, the addition of one player took a while for them, you know, weeks, four, six, eight weeks to kind of figure out how best to use him. <laughs> then you think about how if you're having players all over the place going in, coming out, just how difficult that could be chemistry wise. It's a great question. I think that expectations fans can be a lot higher. I don't think, you know, organizations maybe just to find that one piece or one or two pieces that you need to give you that extra boost down the stretch. But it ain't easy when you're trying to bring somebody in in February. No question about it. One of the guys, a lot of organizations, the fan fan expectations drive coaching changes and general manager changes and not the I don't think the good, the really good organizations don't go by that. But I know of organizations, I've had friends who are general managers and coaches, and there are definitely organizations in the NBA where fan expectations drive personnel moves. I think that's a, a really fine line to walk right there. Well, and from my perspective, that's a dangerous, dangerous game to play, isn't it? I mean, when you're when you're letting fans dictate, you know, what you're doing internally in terms of a front office, you, you look at the Spurs, you know, organizations such as I completely agree with you, Bill. I mean, that's the, the Spurs don't care what the fans think. They, they can lay out their right. results. Here's what we're doing. Here's our plan. I think if your internal plan is so weak that it gets influenced by expectations or fans wants and needs, I think you have a problem to begin with, but but yeah, it hasn't been a pro have we seen that be a problem in NBA history in years past? Yeah, we certainly have. One of the guys who I remember during that championship run and who was there for the last couple of years with uh, LeBron was Richard Jefferson. You were able to watch what a difference he made uh, in that championship run. Can you tell? I I was here when Richard uh, was a rookie with the Nets. I was around him. 
what a player and what a guy, uh, locker room guy who he ended up being for that young Cleveland team at that time. Can you talk about the effect that Richard had? Because I'm seeing Richard this week, so that's why I was I had to I have to ask that because I'm going to show him this. So uh, you, you can say all the nice things, but he, he expects some bad things too. <laughs> well, no, I mean what a what a great individual, and and I mean this when I say this. Cavs aren't champions in 2016 if there's no Richard Jefferson. Period. No question about it. They needed that rotation piece uh, in so many ways, not just during the regular season, but also in the playoffs. You, you know, that bench gets whittled down come playoff time, and T. Lou had really, you know, taken a lot of that rotation out when it was that, you know, mostly that series against the Warriors. What they did throughout the series, some series were, say, Channing Fry series. Some series, other guys played a little bit more. But, boy, did it get whittled down against the Warriors, and Jefferson was – Huge. You want to talk about in the locker room as well on that practice floor. It was Jefferson and Channing Fry who brought that team together. And, and, you know, I don't think that could be overstated either, guys. You know, we, we talk about chemistry a lot, but to me, there is no sport like basketball where if you don't like and trust everybody else out there on the floor, you're going to have problems. I mean, you think about any other sport in baseball, you, you don't have to like the starting pitcher. Who cares? You don't you don't have to like anybody in baseball. So football, you have 53 guys on the team. In hockey, if your goalie's a you know, wing nut, who cares? It doesn't really matter. In basketball, boy, if you don't have and that chemistry and everything that you need, it's so hard to win an NBA title. And Richard Jefferson was such a big part of that. So was Channing Fry uh, in terms of bringing that team together. LeBron, as you guys might imagine, has such a big strong voice right i mean he brings it every day first one in last one out holds everybody accountable primarily by his actions because he holds himself so accountable but to bring in a veteran or two just to kind of you know clean things up around the fringes and to make things easier on some players or to maybe be easier on players who need it or a little harder on players who need to be pushed I think Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry, they were exactly what the doctor ordered. Jefferson's play on and off the court was essential for that 2016 championship. I think to win a championship, you know, uh, and I was here, I'm in, in Dallas, and I was courtside for most of their championship <clears throat> run in 2011. And for each series, you know, you have different matchups that you can take advantage of, and different players were the heroes, you knew that Dirk was going to give you everything Dirk Nowitzki always gives you. But uh, in the championship run, for example, they played the Lakers in the second round, as I recall. Peja Stryakovich was amazing in that series against the Lakers. Did nothing the whole rest of the, the playoffs. But against the Lakers, they don't beat the Lakers without Peja. You know, in the finals against LeBron, uh, it was Jason Terry. Jason Terry was, I mean, mind-blowing the way that he – uh, because Dirk was more of a lead by example. He would say some things, but Jason Terry was the vocal heart of the Mavericks uh, pretty much the whole time he was here. But that particular finals, I remember thinking, you know, from from one round to the next, what do you get? But in the finals, when they needed somebody to really step in, it was Jet. And we had Stackhouse and other other guys that were amazing. But um, I think anytime you make a championship run, you're you're going to have your stars that do the heavy lifting, but you're going to have other guys that have to take advantage of situations who become the stars of of different rounds, so to speak. I agree. And to me, I don't think Teron Lugas enough credit for what he did during that 2016 run for precisely what you're talking about, Bill. I mean, in the Atlanta series, for example, Mike Budenholzer was packing in 
refused to allow LeBron James to drive. So all LeBron would do, get to the foul line, kick it off. In comes Channing Fry. Channing Fry was huge in that Atlanta series. Against Toronto, basically, Teron Lue was dictating how much Jonas Valanciunas was going to play. You know, as soon as Dwayne Casey would put Valanciunas in, he'd go to Tristan Thompson, he'd go to Kevin Love, be able to stretch the floor. Valanciunas didn't want to go out there, wasn't able to go out there. So, you know, Teron Lue, again, with his personnel, with these pieces, was really dictating many of these series. And I thought he did a masterful job of that. And then, of course, against Golden State, we know how that played out with the likes of, of Richard Jefferson coming off that bench. So, uh, again, I don't think Teron Lue gets enough credit. Uh, for the way he kind of shaped things going through the playoffs uh, and route to that 2016 championship. John, I have to ask if you had the opportunity to view the last dance on uh, ESPN. Like, I think like everybody else, anywhere near the NBA, I have, yes. Okay, you being around LeBron James as much as you are, is the similarity with LeBron to Michael, is it a fair assessment? Is is it more fan driven? Is it is it is LeBron chasing a ghost type of mentality? Because Michael came off as the win, uh, winning is everything. It's the only thing type of mentality. I do everything I have to. Is LeBron the same way? Because I I you hear sort of stories about LeBron, like um, <clears throat> that he's all business. It's all business with him all the time. Can you shed some light about like what? LeBron is like behind the scenes on the practice court in that sense, like Michael. Yeah. Was in that sense. I mean, there's no, there's no question they're cut from the same cloth. I mean, you see some of the, the, or you hear some of the stories from practice and we, you know, being around the NBA, we'd heard those stories about Michael before uh, about being so hard on players during practice. LeBron, maybe not to the same extreme that we maybe saw in the documentary or even taking it a step further that we heard from other players adding to things that we've seen in the documentary. Maybe LeBron wasn't as extreme and needling uh, teammates the way Michael did, but does LeBron demand that, you know, you do your job? Yeah. I mean, just like Michael did. And the, the thing with LeBron is this is the honest to goodness truth guys in 2015, he comes into camp it was 2014, 2015 season within an hour of the first practice, he knew where every single player on the floor needed to be, not just his own position, but everybody else's position. And so for anybody else that's running the wrong way or not doing the right thing, when he's telling you what to do and it's your position, all of a sudden there's accountability. And again, the way that he works over and over and over again, and he's out there on the floor, much the same that Michael did. Yeah, there's instant accountability because he's harder on himself than he is on anybody else. But yeah, I mean, if, the, if, if you're going to win a championship, and I think that's I think some of LeBron's teammates along the way during that run learned that and maybe didn't know that when they came into this, when they came into that four-year stretch, that you have to be that accountable on the floor in the practice, on the practice floor each and every day if you're going to win a title. And how hard this is to do in the NBA. And we're talking about LeBron, a guy who went there, you know, four straight times with Miami. Then, of course, four straight times consecutive with the Cavaliers. So I think there were a lot of lessons learned. I think there are a lot of similarities, no question about it, in terms of that drive and in terms of that will to win. I also, think that's something we see. We, we call a lot of players superstars. They get a label. We call, you know, when you think about an all-star superstar, we use the superstar label a lot. We use it too much, really, in NBA circles. But that that you were just talking about that uh, you're saying in, in uh, application with LeBron, certainly Jordan 
uh, Kobe, Olajuwon. I grew up in Houston, and I watched him learn it, uh, and I saw the difference between Olajuwon before he learned it and Olajuwon after he learned it. Um, and guys like Magic and Bird, you know, the legends of the game, the true superstars. I think there's a lot of guys that we label superstars who don't understand that aspect of the game. And I don't think it's something you can coach. I think it's something, that, a switch that has to flip internally. Um, I know LeBron went to Akeem uh, down in Houston and trained with him before he won a championship. And he said to Akeem, I don't understand. I'm the best player in the league, but I can't win a championship. And Akeem told him flat out that he didn't take the game seriously enough, um, that he was too busy throwing powder everywhere and, and, and making fun of Dirk, who, who played with a fever and was coughing. And I remember walking by LeBron and Dwayne Wade making fun of Dirk uh, in the tunnel underneath American Airlines Center. And Akeem told him, point blank, you got to knock that stuff off. And it seemed like LeBron took it to heart. Um, but so many guys get labeled superstar who don't who don't do that, who don't understand that uh, the motor that you have to have to really get to the finals and, and be a championship uh, player. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, when we talk about our generation, you know, I, I don't we didn't see Bill Russell, you know, we didn't see Oscar Robertson play. We didn't we quite know exactly what they're, we, we, we've read the books, we've seen the tape, we've seen everything else. But I think in our generation, when you talk about Michael Jordan, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, they just had that it, you know, that, that, that drive that I'm going to do everything I need to do to win this championship and nobody's going to stop me. And that I, I agree with you in a way that it's, I don't know if that can be learned. You know, I think that has to be innate. I think that has to be instinctual. I think that killer instinct has to be born in somebody. And though, to me, those stand at the top, at least in our generation, the players that we've seen. Is Kawhi going to get there? Is he there at this point? I'm not sure whether he can become that kind of player or if it's, you know, in him to do that. Uh, you know, he's a quiet player. as Kawhi Leonard. Whether he does those kind of things behind closed doors, who knows? But, again, to me, the three that stand out, LeBron, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, in terms of that drive – and that instinct to, to which you refer. You, I know Kawhi didn't do it behind the behind closed doors in San Antonio. <laughs> that was all pop. But but I will will add to your um, to your list. Elijahwan. I mean, we had uh, Cedric Maxwell on a couple weeks ago, and he said he never played with anybody like Elijahwan who'd put up forty points, twenty rebounds, eight steals, eight blocks. Uh, you know, had a that kind of motor. Tim Duncan to me is, I mean, that guy, whatever, whatever had to be done. And he did it. Uh, he led by example. He was not a vocal guy, but he was born with that drive, that motor. Uh, and I'll put Dirk in that category too. Uh, Dirk took a lot, carried a lot of teams to the playoffs that had no business being in the playoffs and did get to the finals a couple of times. But I watched Dirk uh, day in and day out put some things on the line and get some stuff out of players that, um, I mean, he just had, he had that thing too. And I think if Dirk had had a better, not to knock Mark Cuban, I, I like Mark. I got to know him quite well. Uh, but if Dirk had had a better team around him consistently, I think you would have seen him in the finals quite a bit more because he had that aspect too to his game. 
John, I got to um, ask a question here too about the uh, the the, you know, the the Gilbert family. Dan uh, went through some health issues over the last couple of years. Uh, what's his status as of right now? And you know, has he been back around since he was sick? From what I understand, uh, Dan is recovering well. Uh, had a stroke uh, a number of months ago, but uh, he has been progressing. Uh, he's continued to be active. Uh, I can't say enough about what a terrific owner he is. I mean, he has said from the beginning uh, he would spare no expense to win a title, and he, he put his money where his mouth was, uh, and, and he's been terrific. He's been terrific to work for. He's been terrific in terms of, uh, again, if you're going to put a, you know, if you're going to be in a situation where you can win a championship, Dan's going to spend the money to to enable you to do that. So, uh, yeah, he's doing better. He's certainly progressing, uh, which is good to see. And uh, I think he's been great for the NBA and obviously great for the city of Cleveland. And also, you know, you were talking at the beginning of the broadcast about making the change over from radio to TV. What was that transition like for you? Um, you know, going because radio and TV are different. You know, it's a little bit of a different animal for not only just being on camera, but I, I, I don't want to say it from a preparation standpoint, but it's almost like I'm not saying on radio you can be you can have a bad moment or two, but on TV it's it's lights, camera, action. It's a really good question, and unfortunately for us, it, it started tragically with the death of our uh, TV play-by-play guy, longtime TV play-by-play guy and Fred McLeod. So, uh, and that happened a couple of weeks before the season began. So it, for, for many of us, it, it wasn't easy uh, to get going. That said, I was obviously, um, it's, I was honored to be the person that they looked to, uh, to take over for Fred uh, and to move into that TV chair. Uh, it, the, the question's an interesting one in terms of that switch from radio to TV. And I could talk about this for, for over an hour because, uh, I, I love talking about this stuff, but in, ra- it, in radio, you think that once you switch over to television, you're going to have so much time, so much more time to tell stories because on radio, you need the nuts and bolts, right? You need to know where the ball is. You need to know who has the ball. You need to know the score, the time, and you think, you know what, once I go to TV, they can see all that. I'm going to be able to tell stories. I'm going to be able to get all these things in and everything else. It really isn't that way because there's obviously they're showing the replays. You know, you're throwing in ads. The the analyst has to talk, which in the analyst talks on the on the radio side as well. But on television, there are a lot more obviously bells and whistles that you have to wait for. You have to wait until the player's in front of you. You have to wait until he's on the screen to tell a story about that particular player. So it's the nuances are, are a little bit different. That's only the beginning uh, in terms of making the switch, <laughs> but but it's been fun. I mean, it's it, on, on radio. I always laugh. I say, if I have a good story, I'm going to tell you that story within five minutes. I'm going to shove that story down your throat because it's good. You're going to like it. You're going to laugh at it, and here it comes right at you. But on television, you got to wait. You got to pick your spots uh, as the game progresses. But I, I love it. I, I'm I'm surrounded by a wonderful Fox Sports Ohio has been a wonderful team. Uh, Austin Carr is my partner now on the television side, and he is an amazing person uh, who I love to be around and who I love to work with. So uh, it's been uh, it, it was a great year for us. Uh, again, it was uh, awful and unfortunate the way it began, but I think uh, we we did Fred proud uh, as the season progressed uh, and as we came to the end of the year. And it's also funny too because, uh, like you said, everybody's got a great story. And I was talking with 
Um, this, this, you know, it's a true story when you hear the story a couple different times. Where Tim Capstraw, I don't know if you're familiar with Timmy. He does the, uh, sure. the Nets, the Nets broadcast, and he with used Chris, to coach, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Chris Carino, mm-hmm. and and Timmy was uh, was tell a story about a blo- it was a blowout game, and uh, he said uh, he would pick up a technical foul, and he would just still continuously ref. Uh, blast the referees and the referee goes listen i'm not giving you that second tech because if i give you the second tech you get to go back to the locker room if i have to watch this team you have to watch this team so (laughs) so that's that's just that's always like one of those great announcer stories but you know obviously the Cavs have struggled a little bit the last two seasons since lebron's left and there's been some blowouts uh from the from the other side where you guys have to sort of fill the time can you explain what it's like to have to sort of fill that time knowing that you know when the game's a little bit out of hand what your responsibility as an announcer is when those types of situations it's a good question i i think in general that your responsibility as an announcer is to make the game as enjoyable as possible you know and there's a lot of different ways to do that obviously you, you need to do your homework and you need to be ready and prepared and uh you know be able to fill in the game for the viewer but at the same time we're just playing basketball here you know what i mean guys i mean it's not brain surgery or rocket science or anything like that we're playing ball and we're having fun and that's kind of what it's all about and to me randy it's it's along the same lines of what I was talking about before. Sometimes it's easier when it's a blowout because then you really can just you can just talk <laughs> partner, you can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about, you know, teams in the Eastern Conference, Western Conference, whatever you want, just to keep it entertaining for the viewer. You know, so I think it gives you a little more leeway uh, in terms of what you can discuss and you can have a little more fun. So we it, it, like I said, we find our, our ways to enjoy ourselves and like I said, too, I think the Cavs fan base understands that they weren't winning the championship this season or last season. You know, it's about those incremental steps. It's about watching a player like Kevin Porter, you know, come from the end of the first round and start to play some really good basketball uh, as the season went along. Uh, players like Colin Sexton coming into his own in his second season, getting a first look at Derek Garland, who had only played five games in college. So I think that fans understand where – the team's focus is right now. That's what they're looking for too, which makes it easier. Again, you know, you're not the, the final score isn't always the be all and end all when you're talking about the, a team, uh, you know, at this stage of the cycle. That's funny you say that because we had Bob Fitzgerald on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that the challenge of calling Warriors games when they were bad and getting blown out all the time was a very different thing from now that they've been so good for the last few years with Steph Curry and everybody uh, that it's almost like calling a different sport because when they're winning, you have this whole, the excitement and the momentum of the game and everything's exciting. But when they're losing, you have to find a lot of stories to tell about the team and about the players because people don't really want to talk about the result on the court so much. Yeah. I've always said those are the games that put the hair on your chest, right? I mean, anybody can call it. <laughs> I hope you can do that, you know, <laughs> dunks and threes. That's easy, yeah. you know. But, uh, yeah, and I was laughing with Tim Roy, the Golden State's radio guy, just about a week ago, and we were laughing that, yeah, we've been to the finals against each other four consecutive years. We knew each other's team inside and out. Now suddenly we, these two teams are ranked 29th and 30th. You know, <laughs> it's different going from first to last, but we could have used some time in between to maybe get used to it a little bit. All of a sudden it's first to, to dead last in the NBA. So, it's yeah, has it been an adjustment? It has. I think Golden State, uh, you know, they're in a position – obviously they've dealt with major, major injuries. I think they're in a position, especially if they – 
land a, a good young prospect coming out of the draft uh, where they might be in a position to rise back into the playoff picture. I don't think there's any question about it uh, if things break the right way for them. So uh, we'll see moving forward. Uh, but, uh, boy, it's been, uh, like I said, for Golden State and for the Cavs, uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. And Warriors revenge next year. That's what we're that's what we're calling it. With because when yeah. they're going to be they're going to be very yeah. angry with Steph Clay, uh, now Andrew Wiggins and and Draymond Green. Wow, that's that's a real dangerous that's a dangerous team. Uh, I, I got to ask too about what's this. the best thing. Sorry, Randy. I was going to say the best thing that could have happened. I think was for Steph to get the rest of the season off instead of being pressured. He came back and having to do too much or do whatever. Hey, just go ahead and take that time and make sure you're 100%. I, I agree. The, the Warriors are, I mean, they're my pick to win the West next year. To me, to me, the lone challenge, not the lone challenge, but one of the challenges I think for Steve Kerr and Myers and that front office is that so much of what they did before was that bench was that core, you know, and I think a lot of those guys, the Iguodala's of the world are no longer there. And yeah. those guys were so critical to what they did, uh, especially during the four times that they saw the Cavaliers. You know, when, when you look at that team, I think as a whole, are they going to be able to get enough personnel to be ready one through 10 to be able to be one of the elite of the Western Conference? Mm -hmm. I agree with you more. I think that is going to be a fantastic starting lineup, but I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge where that was – that's what killed you with the Warriors. After those all-stars yeah. went at you and went at you and went at you for eight, ten minutes at a time, they bring in those other guys, that's where you lose the lead or that's where they extend their lead you know, with that constant, like the yeah. Sean Livingston's of the world, to kill you with the, you know, that elbow jumper over and over and that strong defense. So I, to me, that's the challenge moving forward for the Warriors. But, yeah, are they, are they still in a pretty good spot coming into next season? I'd say they certainly are. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Clippers, Warriors, and the Lakers battle of California for the top three spots next uh, next year. Uh, I I have to ask about these uh, the following players who are still around from the championship times: uh, Tristan Thompson uh, and Kevin Love, and then from the the previous one, um, obviously uh, Nance is still there. Talk to me about you know for Kevin Love and and for Tristan Thompson. This is a, a very tough situation to be in. Both guys. With uh, you know, winning a championship, still have that championship pedigree, still want to win a championship, but sort of stuck in a situation where, well, we're in the rebuilding mode, and they want, could have moved on. I know they just brought in Andre Drummond as well. What does that do for the plans? And what about for those three right now? Well, let me start with with Tristan Thompson. I, I put Tristan in that category with Jefferson. If there's no Tristan Thompson, there's no way the Cavs are champs. Agreed. Yeah, you know, not Agreed. just for his his work physically on both ends in terms of its board work, in terms of his rebounds, but his ability to switch onto players like Steph Curry to guard him for maybe four or five seconds during a, a pick-and-roll defensive situation uh, in the midst of that 24-second clock, I think he was essential. I think the transition to Tristan Thompson was, was really interesting to watch this year. Again, with those teams, with those championship teams, he had one job. It was basically go get the ball and then just give it to somebody else who's going to shoot it. And he was fine with that. You know, he played, he was a perfect, perfect role player for this team. Never needed the ball, just went and got it, went and defended, did what he needed to do. That was it. Didn't need any glory, didn't need any credit, just won his championship. This year, he took on much more of a leadership role, also took on more of an offensive role. You know, I mean, the Cavs didn't have the weapons, obviously, that they had over the previous number of seasons. I thought his game really developed. Now, for Tristan, in terms of you're talking contract, his contract is up 
at the end of this season. Andre Drummond has a player option coming into this season. I, you know, it was reported that last year um, he likely was going to take the player option. We'll see, you know, with the uncertain landscape, one would tend to think that he might opt in, that he might take his player option coming into next season. But who knows? I don't have any inside information on that. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Uh, and Kevin Love is still under contract for a few more seasons. So, yeah, I, I, has the transition been, uh, I don't know, about a, a difficult one, but it's certainly been different for these guys. I mean, they're taking on different roles. I think more so Tristan in terms of that leadership. Kevin's still doing his thing. He can beat you inside. He can beat you outside. Still gobbling up the rebounds. Uh, but we've seen a, a kind of a transformation with Thompson uh, in terms of the way he, he has been attacking the game, or at least he did over this previous season. Especially with Kevin, what too. Sorry. What do you think about his fit? Uh, as much as the Rockets say, oh, we're going to outsmart everybody and go 6-5 and under, they were looking at Tristan Thompson at the trade deadline. Uh, and he se that seems to me the kind of player that would work well there as you talk about unselfish, doesn't need the ball. He's not going to get it <laughs> in Houston, but they do need somebody to rebound and defend. Uh, I think even though they talk like maybe they don't, I think they do. And I like his fit with all the shooters they have, especially Harden and Westbrook and, you know, guys that are going to do the bulk of the scoring, but they need that Dennis Rodman type player to do the dirty work. I think it would have been a really nice fit. And I think defensively, you know, again, he's not a rim protector per se. He gets, a, you know, he gets enough blocks during the course of the season. But his versatility, his ability to guard smaller guys on the perimeter, I think makes him perfect yeah. for what Houston was doing on that defensive end. Again, I think that's something that can be overlooked. But, I, I yeah, do I think he would have been a nice fit there? I don't think there's any question. Let John, let's have a little bit of fun here. Uh, you know, with the league coming back in a couple weeks, and let's look at the remaining playoff picture. If I had to say to you to give us your final four, who do you have and why? I think I start with the Lakers and the Clippers. I mean, I think those are the two toughest teams in the league right now. Uh, you know, again, it's it's just, it's hard to say, guys, with all the uncertainty. I mean, who knows if one of these teams that was playing really well comes back and for whatever reason has a bad month. And all of a sudden is out of there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or this week. So there's a ton of uncertainty. But if we're judging on what we saw, you know, as we were coming to coming into the pandemic, I like the I like all season. I basically like the Lakers and the Clippers the best out of any teams in either conference. Uh in the East, I like Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee's done some great things in terms of that. You don't get a record like that without doing some solid things. I like Boston's chances over Toronto if they play two, three. And then I, I think the Celtics could give the could give the Bucks some problems uh, in an Eastern Conference championship series. You know, we'll see. Um, I think the top two teams, though, are the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, I'd start with them. Th those two teams is my one and my two. But if you're talking Final Four, Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, and Celtics. What do you think I of this idea of we're going to play the the way the way it's been sketched out? Not that anything's official, but you're going to play into October for the end of this season. So then what do we do? Do we start Christmas or <laughs> you can't then turn around and start the next season on schedule? Uh, I wouldn't think. A proposed date thrown out there that I saw was December 1st for the start of next season. Sometime in oh. December, but December 1st was one that I saw that was lobbed out there, you know, in terms of getting going. In terms of what we're going to see in Orlando, guys, I mean, that. 
I think for an NBA fan, it, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like a free for all. You know, I mean, oh, they're God. playing on they're playing on a couple of different courts, and from what I understand, they're going to yeah. eleven, three, seven, ten on two or three different courts. I mean, I I want to be sitting watching NBA pass all day, every day for six weeks. I mean, I think it's going to be fantastic <laughs> in terms of w- what the fan is going to be able to get from everything. I don't know how great it's going to be for the players having to play you know, every other day for however long it might be. But man, oh man, it seems like a seems like a load of fun for the fans. NBA Summer League. This is what it is, baby. Did this is NBA. Summer League and, Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go to Vegas and do that on sure. top, at the Thomas and Mack Center where they've got half hour stack games and yeah. I mean, of course, I was with Hoops World uh, and Steve Kyler and our team were covering every team and every player that was there. So we were running back and forth and <laughs> I just, it, it almost makes me want to jump into that in Orlando. I, 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 in a way, I miss those, those uh, gauntlet, you know, two or three weeks in Vegas where it was NBA Summer League and then Team USA and just, you know, just basketball heaven, really. Yeah, selfishly, I wanted to be a part of that too. You know, I, I don't even know though. I don't. I have a feeling they're not going to take broadcast. Most broadcasters are going to call games from a studio. That at least was my understanding of how um, that would work. But man, I would I'd go and volunteer to be part of the bubble. I mean, to be part of all that action and everything going on. Only difference between summer league is you only look at it maybe two or three or four guys on each team. Now we're talking about. I mean, now we're talking. Right. This is the real deal, man. I mean, Everybody. So I, you know, I again, I'm I'm excited just to watch. I wish we could be a part of it, obviously. But now I'm excited just to watch and and see what uh, how it all unfolds. I think the most interesting. Absolutely. Thing- I think the most interesting thing coming back is going to be it's it's twofold. One is how they're going to handle the fan situation and two, how they're going to handle the media situation, not just with the NBA, but how they're ha- handled the NHL, the NFL, especially because the NFL uh, garnered so much media. How is all of this going to be played into the big picture and how and, and if the media is there, how much availability will they be able to have? How are they going to handle one on ones? All those things are it's going to be a totally new business now. Yeah, you're right. And it was, it, you know, I tell you, it was strange. Our final game was March 12th, I think, if memory serves, against Chicago. And it had, there were new things coming down from the league basically by the hour, such as, okay, you can only stand within six feet of the coach or all media has to be done at the podium, you know, and you kind of got the idea that the writing was on the wall that night, guys, that you know, look, we're standing six feet away from the coach, yet somehow Austin Carr and I are still courtside right beside all the players who are sweating and the bench is right there. And, you know, this, this might not be sustainable. This isn't going to last very long if, if this is what we have to do. I mean, you think of things such as sideline reporters. If we're calling games from the studio, where's the sideline reporter go? I mean, do they, do they go away or do they, you know, are they in a studio? Do they, you know, does the PR guy have to bring somebody over, put a headset on or, I mean, even just the little nuances of what, how to work through some of these things. To your point, Randy, it's going to take some doing to kind of figure out how to even do these games on television. I think that for the sideline report, I can picture a green screen with just the court going in the background <laughs> and they're doing it from their actual living room. That would be absolutely amazing if they were able to do it that way. Uh, John, this is my, my last question for you. Um, can you actually, I have two more, but can you give me your favorite moments besides Cavaliers winning a championship as a broadcaster? Can you give me, you can throw the championship in there. Why not? Your two or three favorite moments as a broadcaster. 
Well, I mean, uh, yeah, you have to, I think when you get to call a game seven, you know, uh, that's what you get in the business to do, right? Game yeah. finals and then, oh, on top of that, your team that you're working for wins that. And then you get to go into the locker room and be a part of that celebration and then be a part of that plane ride coming back and then be a part of that parade with 1.2 million of your closest friends in a city that hadn't won a championship since the Lyndon Johnson administration. That's where I start I mean, in terms of great things that I've gotten to experience, you know, as, as being a part of this organization, being part of this, uh, you know, doing play by play. Uh, I, I, when LeBron returned, it, it was more than basketball. You know what I mean? It, it was to this region of Northeast Ohio that had not won a championship in 52 years prior to that one in 2016. It, it was, it was, and I think it gave hope to a city that had, I think everybody knows every time Cleveland gets close to winning the championship, they show all of the near misses. I mean, the, you know, the Browns, they showed they makes a blow in the save for the Indians. You know, the, we know the fumble, the drive, everything else uh, that's taken place over the years where Cleveland got so close. And finally, I think it, it restored some hope. And sure enough, uh, Cavs went on and won that title in 2016. So just to see, I think, the, the fan, I don't want to say the evolution of the fan. I don't know if that's the right word. But to see the, the, the fans get that hope and to feel good, not just about their team, but about their city and in a way about themselves. Man, that's special. You know, that that's what sports is all about, right? I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, they're out there, guys running around, people complaining about how much they get paid and, and this and that. But isn't that what it pulls together and, and it makes people happy? You know, that's why I think we do what we do. Uh, and that was, that's what gives me the most joy to be a part of that for people who, after their hard day's work, get to enjoy watching a Cavs game. So I, to me, in terms of, you know, big scale things that have, that have been important to me or that I've seen, since, uh, you know, becoming the play-by-play voice of the Cavs, uh, I think that ranks right up there. And then the final question for me is, if you had to give me your Mount Rushmore of your, I guess, you know, for your sports heroes, who is your Mount Rushmore? I thought you were going to ask me uh, sports broadcasters, play-by-play guys, uh, <laughs> my sports heroes. See, I'm going to incriminate myself here because I work in Cleveland, but I was born in Western Pennsylvania. So, <laughs> so, so a lot of the guys I grew up watching are not uh, all that beloved here in the city of Cleveland. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I'll play it safe because there's no hockey team here. I, I grew up in the Mario Lemieux days. You know, Mario Lemieux was a guy who I, I grew up watching and, and admiring uh, as a young kid. He was pretty special. I'll stay away from the Steelers in terms of that. If you were to talk broadcasters, though, I mean, guys who who I I won't say pattern myself after, but guys who I look to and I say, man, they really got it right. I start with Vin Scully. I mean, out there with the Dodgers for for all those years, and just the way he, the way he's able to tell a game and and you know, tell a story, I should say, in the process of calling a game, uh, is really something to marvel at, and I think really something to strive for. Guys like Al Michaels. Uh, you know, Mike Breen, just uh, I think I think what those guys all have in common is that it's not about themselves. It's not all about, you know, it's not about the quirky sayings and the funny things they can come up with and trying to sound witty or clever. It's about celebrating the game, you know, and I, I think that's after all, you know, in the end, I think that's what people want uh, to be able to celebrate the game. So in terms of my broadcaster, Mount Rushmore, uh, I, I, I'll point to guys like that. 
We haven't done that Mountain Rushmore, Randy. I'd I'd put Bill Shonley right at the top of mine and Bill Worrell. Of course, Bill Worrell is still doing rockets and Astro. Well, I don't know if he still does Astros. He still does rockets. Bill Shonley up in Portland. I When I was a kid, my grandmother listened to the Blazers games, and I just loved listening to Bill Shonley talk about Rip City, baby. And, you know, he was, he was amazing. But uh, so my last question for you, uh, and you made a comment about how fans do talk about the money. Uh, and I have an aunt who one of her favorite things to say, uh, they uh, I'd go down and grab my cousin to go to a Rockets game so he could hold the camera while we were interviewing whoever we were getting that night. Uh, and she'd always have to make the comment about how much money players make. And I would say, well, you know, here's the thing. If somebody offers you a contract that's $150 million to go play basketball, what are you going to say? No. <laughs> I mean, the players are offered what they're offered. That's not, I mean, and plus, if the NBA generates, if a team generates X number of hundred million, if the Lakers generate X number of hundred million dollars, doesn't Kobe deserve a big part of that? They're coming to watch Kobe. They're not coming to watch just whoever happens to be in a Lakers uniform. You know, Rockets fans were showing up to watch Akeem. They show up to watch James Harden now. They're not showing up just to watch the Rock, just a bunch of guys play basketball. So I think that that's always my answer to that is, you know, it's a product and the players are the product. Yeah, the team is the product too, but the team is who the players are. So if team's going to make millions and millions of dollars, the players deserve to make a big chunk of that. Um, but, you know, so that that's always been my, I've had that said to me so many times in chats and fans at games. And that's my, my immediate knee-jerk uh, answer. But my last question for you, I wanted to ask, talk about another transition. We talked about going from radio to TV, but I was interested that you went to law school and were an attorney and then went from that, transitioning from that to doing sports broadcast. Seems like a, a big transition. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a transition. I always tell would-be broadcast <laughs> when bit. they say, you know, hey, wh where'd you go to school? How did you do this? How'd you get there? I say, I'll, I'll tell you what I did, but whatever you do, don't do this. <laughs> ways to get there than to do this. Uh, but yeah, I went I went to Notre Dame as an undergrad, uh, and then I went on to law school and MBA school at Notre Dame and practiced uh, as a trial attorney for four years uh, in Western Pennsylvania at a large firm in Western Pennsylvania. Um, but on a whim, sports have always been my passion. You know, I don't hunt, I don't fish. All I've ever done is play and watch sports. Um, one day, you know, in, in Pennsylvania and in Ohio, football's king on uh, Friday nights, high school football, and you could hear it up and down the down around on Friday night. And I said, you know what, I, I'd love to try that sometime. So I, I put together a tape. I sent it to the, the local high school network, got a call a couple of days later. They said, one of our guys got sick. How'd you like to do a high school football game? And I said, ah, of course. You know, so I hung up the phone, totally panicked because I had no idea what I was doing, no idea how even to begin. Um, went out, called the game, got a call the next week, said, hey, you're okay. You want to do one next week? Uh, football turned into basketball and hockey <laughs> season, which turned into baseball season. So suddenly, not suddenly, so suddenly, but during the day I was at court in trials, taking depositions while I was moonlighting at night driving all over the place to, to do high school sports. Uh, and I fell in love with it. And I got an offer from a uh, couple years later, got an offer from minor league baseball team. And it was one of those now or never moments. You know, I, I had to put the law. I, the question was, am I going to do it? Am I going to set the law as practice of law aside? 
uh, or the rest of my life am I going to say what if? So I decided to do that to make the move. I went on to minor league baseball, which turned into minor league hockey. Uh, then I went to the NHL and and on to the NBA I went. So I was uh, as blessed, I was fortunate. It was a circuitous route, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm the most overeducated person, I guess, in pro sports. Uh, I don't really need any of those degrees, but uh, but I guess it all worked out in the end. I just literally have this mental picture. Uh, excuse me, Your Honor, can you please hurry up? Tip off is in about three hours. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. <laughs> one of the courts, one of the courts overlooked the old Civic Arena. You can just see the top of the dome out there, and <laughs> and one of my associates said, "Why do you keep? Why do you keep looking? What are you looking at over there out the window?" And it occurred to me that I kept looking over the top. I was looking at the top of the rink because I had to get over there in a couple of hours. <laughs> John, can you let everybody know where they can find you? Well, I did media? have. Uh... Sorry. What's that? I was gonna say I had two two things two things that uh, I always enjoyed watching regarding you know all, all these criminal shows now, but Perry Mason and Boston Legal were my uh, <laughs> those were my Mount Rushmore of I, I loved watching. But then when I've served on juries, there's nothing like that. You know, it's not nearly as <laughs> as dramatic as all that. It's really kind of boring, really. I I could see why you'd switch to sports. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it was in. I mean, I, I, the funny thing is people like ask me, did you hate it? No, I didn't hate it. I mean, it was fine. You know, I was progressing and, and doing well. But, boy, you, you kind of get that itch and you fall in love with something. You guys know. I mean, you you obviously love what you do for a yep. find what you're passionate about. And you say, no, hey, you, you got to give it a shot and see uh, see if I can do something with this. Somebody's actually going to pay me to do this. And uh, I, I guess the rest is history. John, can you let everybody know where they can find you on social media? Oh, sure. Uh, on Twitter, it's at, uh, at Cavs J Mike, C A V S J M I K E. Do you ever find it weird during your broadcast that you have to uh, sort of incorporate all the social media stuff now? Because from where you started in 2011 with the Cavs <laughs> to now, it's certainly a different animal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's <laughs> funny. Uh, I've gone through phases, you know, whether to tweet or not to tweet during games. Uh, and I, I've, <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that I'm not, I'm on a stretch right now where I'm not tweeting during games. Uh, <laughs> I do have a funny story about that. Here's, here's how I got there. I was tweeting, well, I, in my family, um, we have a, there's a history of breast cancer in my family. Okay. So at, at halftime of one of the games, they had a, a, you know, everybody was wearing pink. It was a beautiful ceremony. Okay. It was fantastic. And it, it's very touching to me, it meant a lot to me. Right. So it ends, <laughs> it ends and we go right into the third quarter and I'm not done with my tweet. Right. So I'm trying to kind of work in my, as I'm doing the game, I'm working on my tweet. Get, I just want to get it out there because it was emotional and, you know, I was excited about it. And I said, I said something like, what a beautiful sight. And I wanted to write, what a beautiful sight here on Breast Cancer Awareness Night, right? But I forgot the word cancer. And I wrote, what a beautiful sight tonight. On oh, no. <laughs> and within five <laughs> seconds, within five seconds, my phone rang from the uh, from the, the Twitter folks, our internal folks, like, hey, John, you got to delete. You really got to delete that real fast. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so I said, after that, I said, I am that serves me right for tweeting during games. I can wait. To, I can wait for a commercial. I can wait after the game. 
<laughs> I imagine if you tried to do it during the game. Hold on, guys. I just got to delete this suite. All right, let's go. <laughs> I that meanwhile, I'm like, da, 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 da. I'm like, here comes Kyrie Irving with the ball. I'm, like, da, da, da. I'm trying to delete the thing. Yeah. Uh, well, John and John, thanks for giving us some time today, man. That's that's great. <laughs> you can't you can't top that story. <laughs> Not even gonna try to do it. John, thanks for giving us some time today. I hope uh, you know you enjoy the rest of the summer with the kids, and you know when we when we start back up, we're gonna be able to sort of get some sort of normalcy back in the NBA, and you know we'll be, definitely have you on again during the season next year. And uh, we really appreciate you giving us some time today. Hey, no question. Uh, thank you so much uh, for having me on the show. You guys do a great job. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. A great job, Michael, here on the Hardwood Huddle. And Bill, you know, this is the, one of the first times that we've done the Hardwood Huddle through the the change of format and uh what, you know this was fun you know i like uh i know you like our logo being right there you know in the corner and everything like that so do, instead of just doing some audio doing to change the video yep yep <laughs> presty <yeah. laughs> it's like the, i still like the little brady bunch thing you know what i mean the whole little brady bunch being able to look down like you know just like we were doing on the zoom call so um so you know we have some good shows coming up and and i also wanted to make sure i was going to put down the scroll of all your nicknames on the bottom where it says supreme leader man behind pen man behind behind microphone <laughs> put all of them lined up right there you know just set that up but you just can't call me the what'd you call me last week when we had larry brown on you can't call me the the basketball guru or something when we have <laughs> a real basketball guru on <laughs> you know you know it was interesting too i had a couple people listen to us when we discussed larry brown and they're talking about larry talking to larry brown and they're like man we were trying to get larry for years i was like larry doesn't like you people he only likes us he texted me and told me <laughs> <laughs> so we have some good shows coming up but you can follow the show as you see on the little scroll uh, on google podcast youtube spotify and itunes you can download us so you can follow bill at the rock guy me at randy bsp and um you know we wanted to make sure by doing this i think doing these video shows are a lot more fun than doing the uh, audio shows you get to see the person you're talking to so you know a you know it's really them and b you know yeah. we you know and, and i think most of all you know i think there's just something more about watching and seeing us do this in our element and this you know, the cedric you know, cedric maxwell interview was certainly fun that was our first real video show and uh bill i think number two of the video shows we've knocked it out of the park what do you think yeah for hey it's fun to talk basketball with basketball people it's just it's it's a blast and uh especially people that have seen things like uh you know john michael has seen and bob fitzgerald has seen you know the guys that we've talked to or people who have been on, been sitting there when the when some of the big things have happened and it's interesting to have those conversations and find out about breast tweets <laughs> i think we need to do his bob fitzgerald and john michael both on the same show and have them argue over the last four years and we'll just sit there and just go like this the whole time <laughs> you know if draymond green hadn't been suspended for that <laughs> last <laughs> yeah that's all that's all where it goes too it's like and then all of a sudden it's like you'll hear you'll hear uh you'll hear john go yeah you guys had to bring in that ringer kevin durant to try and beat us you know <laughs> yep uh, so well you know what bill we'll be back uh we'll be back next week we'll have some uh fun more fun guests 
uh, on the show, and we have some more surprises coming. We have some names that are coming up, but uh, you can definitely follow Bill at the Rocket Guy, me at Randy BSP, and of course, again, subscribe and like all of our shows for the Hardwood Huddle on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and also go onto YouTube. We are uh, we'll be there as well as soon as the show ends. If you missed part of it, you can always go back and watch us again. So, Bill, thank you very much. As always, Supreme Leader. <laughs> always a pleasure my friend <laughs> all right sir well we'll see everybody next week keep an eye on backsportspage.com so you know when the next episode of the hardwood huddle will be turning up see everybody next week thank you bye guys <laughs>